Hello to you all. My name is Mike, and um, one, I'm one of the teachers here. I'm, I'm pretty excited. We, we um, you know, last week we kicked off a new series called Unstuck, which coincides with obviously what so many of us do each new year, right? We try and set, uh, you know, resolutions, and which, which what's a resolution, right? So it's kind of a promise or a commitment to yourself, maybe to others to either do or not do stuff. And so coinciding with the new year, we decided it would be really good to kick off a series that could help us get, get unstuck. And, uh, you know, you think about the reason, why do, why do you make New Year's resolutions? Well, you make a New Year's resolution because there's something in your life that you're personally dissatisfied with, Right? I'm not happy about the way my, you know, I don't feel like I'm staying in shape or I'm not eating well. Whatever it is, you make these New Year's resolutions. And um, it's like you have a giant reset button with an alarm clock. January 1st, (laughs) hit reset. But the reality is, in our lives, you can hit that reset button anytime, anytime. And, uh, you know, depending on the, the level of your, you know, willpower and personal determination, many of us get all the way from... January 1st, completely through the third week of January before we decide ice cream is an invaluable part of my diet. And we go back to, you know, we get rid of it. That's what happens. Some are better. Some, are, some, some make it through the whole year. But last week, as we started the series, if you were here, you heard Dave kind of get to the root of understanding the fact that every single one of us, I don't know all of you, you don't know me, but I do know this about you and you know this about me. Every single one of us is stuck in some area, probably multiple areas in our life. And Dave kind of helped us uh, get, to the, get to the root of the fact that we all have areas of stickiness. But beyond that, helped us understand the two root causes, which are one, we feed the desire that produces the behavior. That's the first problem. And the second one is that because of things that have happened to us or things we've participated in in our lives, we create coping mechanisms to work around those, right? Those are the two reasons that we get started in those. And and you think about this, maybe you're sitting there going, I don't really feel like I'm stuck. Well, let me just challenge you for a second because there are so many different ways that we get stuck. Think, Think about this. You can be stuck in a memory, Right? You, you remember that, oh, remember when things were so good, my life was great, I want to get back to that. Or maybe you can get, be stuck in a bad memory of something you're trying to escape. In either case, you're trying to avoid, you're not moving forward or backwards, you're just kind of in a place. You can also get stuck in a pattern. My wife and I were just talking about this last week. It's like, ah, I feel like our days lately are like this. Get up, get ready for work, go to work, come home from work, eat a meal, watch TV, go to bed, do it again. (laughs) And we're like, man, we've got to get some, this cannot be our life. This cannot be, we've got to get some excitement in our life. You can be stuck in like generational stuff, things that happened in your family long before you were ever born were normal practices. And then you came into the family and as a result of being in that family, you just adopted those, believing they're the right way to live. And now you're you're looking at this stuff and you go, I thought my family was normal, but I don't think that anymore. You can also, this is interesting, you can get stuck in what you thought was supposed to be, right? We have these thoughts like, by now, I thought I was going to be retiring. By now, I thought I was going to be president of the company. By now, I thought, you know, 
I, th- I thought I'd be like beginning my career. I th- by now, I thought I'd be in college. By now, I thought I'd be married. By now, I thought I'd be unmarried. By now, I thought I'd be remarried. Or whatever it is, you have these scripts in your head that say, that's what was supposed to happen, and it's not happening. Now I feel stuck. Even worse, you can get stuck in good stuff, things that are really good. Here's an example. Elevators. Those are, you know, you got to go to floor 50. Elevators are great. But if it goes to floor 39 and a half, not great. As a matter of fact, my, my daughter, Natalie, she just graduated from uh, the university. And um, to give herself a little treat, she has a friend that goes to the university as well who has family in Hawaii. And she had a free ticket to fly. So she went to Hawaii on the cheap for a week. And um, she's there. She has a great time. And then she goes to the airport to catch her flight home. And they're like, sorry, your flight's canceled. And, and she's like, so what do I do? Your flight's canceled. <laughs> and she calls and she's super stressed out. And I'm like, oh, poor you, stuck in the most beautiful place in the universe. How terrible that must be. You know, but seriously, here's what's interesting about it. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, but she needed to be elsewhere because her career was kicking off in a couple of days and she had to be back and ready for that. It was super stressful for her. And here's what I want us to understand, that if we're not careful, when we get stuck, we get stupid. When you get stuck, if you're not careful, you get stupid. You know, uh, when I have four kids, Jude is, is uh, 17 now, but when he's about two or three, one night or one morning, uh, Jude and Gideon are like super active, you know, always on the go. And they used to love jumping from bed to bed. They shared a room. They'd be bouncing around the bed. And one day, uh, Susie hears this, you know, cry for distress from, from up in, the, in their bedroom. And so she goes to their bedroom to see what's going on. Now, if you have kids, you're probably aware uh, there, there are these like little toilet seats that you can put inside a big toilet seat that keeps the kid from you know, getting flushed, right? And many of you are going, oh, I know where this is going. Nope, you don't. Here's, <laughs> so, so we hear this call, or Susie hears this call, and she heads up to the room to see what's going on, and she sees what's happening, and she's like, yes, I'm going to help you. Don't worry, I'm going to help you. But first, let me get a video. Again. You didn't like it when it happened last week. Why do you keep putting it over your head? See if you can get it off. It hurts. Well, then, how do I know you're not going to put it on again? How do I know you're not going to do it again? kind of normal in our house, by the way. It has been up until this day, that kind of stuff. Uh, anyway, you heard, so he's stuck in this predicament, and he gets stupid. He's cranking the thing, trying to rip it off of his head, right? And, but what did you hear him say? It's maybe hurts. <laughs> yeah, because when, when you're stuck, getting unstuck might hurt. And he's scared 
No, you do it. He needs help. All of the things that happen when we get stuck, we just saw in that video. And here, again, when you get stuck, you get stupid. And here's the thing, this happens. You get stuck, and the next thing you're saying is, oh, now I have a timeshare. I'm stuck, and now I have a sweet sports car, but I cannot afford the payments. I'm stuck, but now I have a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, but I don't think I'm over my old boyfriend or girlfriend. This is what happens in our lives when we get stuck and stupid and make choices. When I was young, and I still am, but when I was really young, uh, every Saturday morning, Tarzan, not the Disney version of Tarzan, but Tarzan, like the TV show was on. And um, the script was super predictable. Tarzan and Jane were bouncing around the jungle in, in glee, and then bad guys would come after them. I have no idea what they're trying to get, <laughs> you know, why they're trying to get Tarzan. I don't know. But they'd come in, they'd start chasing Tarzan. At some point, Tarzan would have to wrestle an alligator underwater. He would win, come out of the water, and the bad guys would step in quicksand. Okay? If you saw Tarzan, you're like, oh yeah, that's every episode. By the way, Mythbusters did an episode on quicksand. It's a real thing. And here's what they found out. The more you struggle, the more it sucks you in. And what would happen? The most counterintuitive thing, they'd get in and they're thinking they have to wrestle to get out, but they couldn't get out because they're creating such a frenetic body movement. It's sucking them down to their own demise. Can you think of a better example when you're stuck? You start to do stupid things, and it becomes your demise. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the power, where the power is to get unstuck. And we're going to be looking at the first three steps specifically of Celebrate Recovery, which is a program that was put into place to help us get unstuck from hurts, habits, and hangups, right? And what happens when we get stuck in our hurts, hangups, and habits is we get paralyzed to move in any direction. When we make really bad decisions that make it worse and we start flailing around in the quicksand, it sucks us under. Because when you get stuck, you get stupid. So what I want, the way I want to do this today is I want to look at a Bible character that if you grew up in church, you've heard the stories. And as a matter of fact, if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know many of the stories. It's the story of this guy who looked exactly like Charlton Heston, and his name was Moses. <laughs> All right? And he was stuck. But here's, I'm, I'm going to just read your mind, because when you hear me say we're going to talk about Charlton Heston being stuck or Moses being stuck, you immediately go to the Red Sea, right? He's stuck. The Egyptians are coming to kill all of the Israelites, and he's really trapped. And I am going to talk about that. But I want us to understand something. He was stuck long before that. And here's the history of the Israelites. They were living in Egypt as a result of, remember the whole story of Joseph anyway, they're in Egypt, and they're multiplying so rapidly, it says in Exodus, the beginning of Exodus, they're multiplying so rapidly that the Egyptians feel like they could be a threat. And so the king decides, hey, what I'm going to do is we're going to make them slaves to us. We're going to treat them really harshly and bitterly. And they do that, but it says the more harshly the king treated the slaves, the more rapidly they produced. And I don't know if, like, since they're slaves, they didn't have money to buy a TV, so they had spare time on their hands at night or what's going on, but that's what it says, literally. 
And so they keep rapidly, they keep rapidly, you know, reproducing and they, the numbers are growing and Egypt, the Egyptian king is getting nervous. And so he decides he needs to amp up his plan. And the plan that he comes up with is this is just unthinkable. So if you want to understand the depth of depravity and the conditions under which the Israelites were living, the king's master plan is to take all newborn babies and kill them by throwing them in the Nile. I mean, I just sat back when I read that and thought to myself, I just want to picture what that would even look like. I mean, this is what the Israelites were dealing with, a very, very immoral, corrupt leadership that wanted nothing more than to get rid of them because they posed a potential threat. So Moses is born during this time, and his mom ends up hiding him for three months. And at the end of three months, for whatever reason, maybe she feels like she can't do it anymore. She puts him in a waterproof basket. She takes the basket. She puts it in the reeds uh, along the shoreline of the Nile. And Miriam, his sister, watches. Eventually, one of the Pharaoh's daughters comes, sees the baby, brings him back to the house of the Pharaoh and says, please, daddy, please, can I have him raise him as my own? He says, yes, he is adopted. And Moses is raised, not as a slave, but as royalty. Fast forward, now Moses is an adult and he decides one day he wants to go out and see what's happening among his people, the Israelites, who are slaves, but he's not. And as he goes out to see the people, he sees the bitter treatment they're receiving to the point where he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. He's so angry about this He makes sure no one's looking, kills him, buries him. Next day, he comes back. He sees two Israelites fighting, and he decides he wants to de-escalate the situation. So he gives them the can't we all just get along speech. He sings them all you need is love. And their response is, who are you? You're going to kill me? just like you killed the dude yesterday? Yeah, not a great setup. And Moses realizes in that very moment that everyone knows what he's done, including the king who calls for Moses to be arrested and killed. Step one in Celebrate Recovery is to realize I am not God I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. I admit I'm powerless to do what's right. Now, what's at play here is, again, Moses had been raised in the palace and he wasn't treated as a slave and his own people didn't fully accept him as one of theirs. The king didn't and he has a bit of an identity crisis with his people. Look at this, chapter 2, verse 14 of Exodus. The man replied, this is the Israelite person who Moses was trying to quell the situation. He says, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everybody knows what I did. Yes. Again, the Pharaoh is also not a big, big fan 
And when he hears about it, he says this in Exodus 2.15. And sure enough, when the Pharaoh heard of it, he gave orders to have Moses arrested and killed. But Moses fled from the Pharaoh and escaped and lived in Midian. Moses is exposed to both sides. They know what he did. Neither side accepts him. And what we're going to find out is Moses doesn't even actually accept himself as we get a little deeper into the story. He's stuck in the middle of nowhere. And what do you do when you're stuck? You get stupid. And so at 40 years old, Moses decides to run for his life. And he lives in voluntary exile for 40 years in Midian, is what we learn. 40 more years of exile. See, Moses didn't admit in that moment when he saw the wrongdoing that he was powerless. As a matter of fact, like so many of us, he believed that he was powerful and he could stop a situation with his power. He was going to get the people out of this terrible situation. And you know what's weird? He was right. He just didn't have it dialed in as to the tactics. And he tried to do it in his own power. And he's just like you and I just like you and I, because we don't believe we're powerless. What do we do? We try and manage our way out of situations. We try and control our way out of situations. We try and control like our, our, our image. That's why he looked around, right? I'm going to kill the dude, but I don't want anyone to know this. We try and control our image. We try and control the people around us. We try and control our pain. We medicate. We do all kinds of stuff. And Moses did all these things as well. And in the end, what he learned was that he made matters worse, not better. But God had not given up on him. And if you hear one thing today, hear this, nor has he given up on you nor has he given up on you. So God speaks to Moses then while he's in Midian exile through a bush that's on fire but won't burn out. And he tells him, go back. You're going to free the Israelites from the Egyptians and you're going to free them from slavery. And Moses is still stuck because he's in this process of this belief about himself as it relates to those around him. And he's stuck in the belief that he isn't powerful enough to stand against the Pharaoh or powerful enough to lead the people of Israel. And he's right, actually. He's not. He's stuck in the fear of the unknown. He's stuck in fear of rejection and capability, questions about his past. And Moses finally begins to process into submitting, which is the second step of recovery. And it says this, that we earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Step one, I don't have the power. Step two, God does, and he wants to help. But Moses begins this process, and it is a process, and every time we want to get unstuck, it's a process. Very few things are overnight. You wake up the next day, and everything's taken care of, right? And when we're getting unstuck, it's a process, and it can be really hard. And look, at Moses begins these questions of, 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 of doubt about himself, and the who am I? He says in verse uh, 11 of chapter 3, but Moses protested to God, who am I? 
to appear before the Pharaoh? And who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And God's response is, it's not about you. I'm going with you. And then Moses pivots and he said, but they won't believe me. Look at, look at chapter four, verse one. He says, but Moses protested again. Look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. They'll just say, the Lord never appeared to you. He's saying, no, no, no. They're going to say, I'm not credible. I made the whole thing up. This is a big line of baloney. They're not going to believe me. And God says, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to through you right now in this moment, I'm going to demonstrate a miracle. And he does this amazing miracle with Moses right in the moment. He goes, you want to know what the power is that's going to get you to the next side? That, not you. My power, because I'm going with you. Stop doing it. Let me do it. But he's not done with his, with his, with his uh, you know, arguments. He, he gives him the I'm clumsy with words argument. And he says this, 410, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, I'm not now. And even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. God replies once again, it's not about you and your power. Look at this answer that God gives to him in verse 11 of chapter four. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I? Now go and I'll be with you as you speak and I will instruct you what to say. See, this is the hope step or the great exchange. And the great exchange is this. I exchange my powerlessness for God's power. Not only am I powerless, but God is powerful and willing and desiring that I will make the change out of being stuck into the place that he wants me. And God knows the problems that you're dealing with, the issues that are causing you to feel stuck in life. He knows all of that as well as you do and even better. And he says, I want to help you get out of that into the next step. But Moses has one last plea. Chapter four, verse 13, Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. That's the final ditch effort. I hear you. I know you're right. I get it. I just don't want to. It's going to be too hard. Don't make me. Please just let me off the hook. You know, the charm, by the way, when you make a New Year's resolution, the charm of getting in shape far outweighs the charm of what you need to do to get in shape, <laughs> right? It's, I, I can picture myself looking svelte on the beach, you know, walking around and all the ladies are looking at me. And then I go, oh, I got to go to the gym and get sweaty. Forget that. Donut. <laughs> so often that's how the charm of getting in shape is way different than the charm of doing the daily disciplines and committing to what I need to do. And if we don't change what we're doing, we have no reason to believe we're going to get unstuck. The third step is this. Consciously commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Consciously commit. If I'm not powerful, 
and he is, and he wants to do something about it, my best step is to stop trying to be powerful and just commit to God's plan in my life. See, Moses ends up submitting to God. The king has died by this point, and he follows his call to go back. Very important part of the process, though, for you and for Moses, it's this, that before things get better, they usually get worse. And it does. See, the Pharaoh completely, Moses goes to the Pharaoh as he's told, and the Pharaoh completely rejects his plea to let the people go. And not only that, he speaks directly into affirming the very fears that Moses had expressed to God. He says in chapter five, the, the Pharaoh rejected him and he, and, he, and he says this, who, Pharaoh speaking to Moses, who do you think you are? And I gotta believe Moses going, yeah, I had that question too. <laughs> he speaks, see, this is, Satan is so crafty with this, right? We hear someone say something, we start to believe something about ourselves and we buy the lie, but Moses actually doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy it. And so many of us think, you know, you, you know you're right, who am I? I'm here because I did this to myself. I deserve this place. Yeah, I'm never gonna, it's too hard. I can't get, we have all of these lies that come to the forefront of our thinking and they dictate the way we believe. As Dave was saying, we feed the very things that drive the behavior. Pharaoh doubles down, doubles down after Moses comes to him and he says, we're gonna, amp up. We're going to give them less supplies. We're going to treat them more harshly. And Moses stands firm. And this is one of the most beautiful verses in chapter six. And he says this, now God speaking, now, now, what's now? Now, now that you've committed your ways to me, now that you've stopped trying to be the powerful one, now that you've said, I'm going to let you do it, God. Now, now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh. Who's going to do it to the Pharaoh? God. Interestingly, though, the Israelites still aren't fans. He goes to them and they're like, yeah, I don't think we're on board here. But he stays true to his call and eventually they say, okay, we're going to submit to you. We're going to submit to you. And then the 10 plagues. And then they're released. And they run right to the Red Sea with the Egyptians coming after them with every intention of wiping them out again. And what would appear is the final doom of the Israelites is just moments away. But look at how Moses' mindset had changed. He says this to his, Moses answered the people who are terrified. They think they're going to die. And they're saying stuff, by the way, like, let's just go back. We could be slaves again. That was good. What crazy talk is coming out of your mouth? No. And Moses says this, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Anyone here, don't raise your hand. Anyone here waiting for deliverance from the Lord? Anyone, right? Yes, Every one of us. 
See, but here's what's interesting. God is not looking to free us from some place and some specific circumstance to take us to a new place and bring our stuckness with us so it repeats again. He wants to remove the Egyptians from our life. He wants us to be free and be transformed into new people, not just to escape a situation. And I think as I read this, Moses initially began with this thought that he had to do stuff for God, but the reality is God didn't even need Moses because God was going to do all the work. And Moses missed the point at first that God was actually trying to bring transformation in Moses' life through certain circumstances. And we see at the end, we fast forward all the way to chapter 33, and we see a completely transferred mindset that Moses has. Look at this, verse 15 and 16. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, and God had said, hey, you got to go somewhere. Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish us and your people from all other people on the face of the planet. Moses has a brand new perspective. He's not even concerned one bit about his own strength. He realizes he doesn't have it. And he says, I can't go without you now. I'll go, but you gotta go with me, God, because that's my only hope. Man, you guys can come on up as we close here. We're going to transition in just a second into some musical worship to close our day out. Let me just say this, though. Obviously, I don't know all of you, or I don't know great detail about all of you. I don't know what memory you're stuck in, what pattern you're stuck in, what generational behavior you might be stuck in. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what was supposed to be in your life. I don't know where you feel like God let you down or where you're stuck. I don't know that, but you do. And here's what's even better. So does God. So does God. Some of you, by the way, I can hear it in the room. <laughs> Great, this was super helpful, right? Three years ago, six months ago, a week ago, before I moved in, before I moved out, before I said yes to this or no to that, before I started drinking this or eating that, whatever. That would have been super helpful. Maybe. I mean, Moses was in exile for 40 years. And here's what I want to say to you. I don't know where you are. I don't know any of those things about you guys. But I know that God's power can change this in you if you will commit. You are not powerful enough to do it on your own. You aren't. God is and wants to do it in you if you'll submit to him and commit to his ways. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, 
I'm just so grateful that I had to give this message today. <laughs> so this is a message to me. And I just pray that as we identify if we need to find new areas, if we're unaware, if we're trying to seek you and we're trying to figure out how to get out of the stuck patterns in our life, I pray that you would give us the humility to fall before you and admit your kingship, confess our powerlessness, confess your power and follow you into whatever you lead us into. Thank you for grace when we don't do it right. Thank you that it's not dependent on our behavior. We ask that you bless us as we pursue you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.